Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. leading us today and being with us in worship. We appreciate Brother Dean being here. And uh, y'all be sure and greet him before y'all leave this place and thank him for coming our way today. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up with me to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. And while you're turning there in the text as we continue through this marvelous book, I want to tell you that we must get this truth. What we're about to see in these verses of Scripture, we must understand and we must grasp it. It will affect, if not our own personal salvation with the Lord and in the Lord, that salvation of others that we try to reach, the very mission of the church and the impact of the gospel is at stake. The souls of people are at stake. This is an issue of heaven and hell, eternal issues. Verse 18, as we saw last week, explained how people are led astray. What what is it that attracts people to false teaching and doctrine These days it seems as if it's in mass, more so than the true gospel churches and pastors and teachers. Great words, grandiose expressions, sounds great, looks good, but in reality, according to our previous text, it appeals to the lust of vulnerable people, vulnerable people. Verse 18 tells us that many are disillusioned and many are dissatisfied and they're discontent with something in this world, their lot, their situation, where they are, and they want to escape. They look around and they see the error of the world and something tells them, perhaps the Holy Spirit himself, that what the world is offering them and their Yielding to the flesh is not working and it's not satisfying. It is not um, taking care of their life's woes and issues. And they are wondering, I want to stop this. I want to do something different. I see where I'm leading will go. I see where this has taken me, has taken other people. And it's just not working. And that's when the enemy pounces. That's when the lion pounces and brings in false doctrine and false teaching 
and they make great promises with grandiose speeches. That's what we learned last week. And they give hope, howbeit it is a false hope, they give hope. And it even seems to work for a while. And people feel better. And they even get a new perspective. And do you know today, more so than at any time in our nation's history, young people are more vulnerable today than they ever have been. I don't know what it is to be crass about it. And I don't want to be crass, but the term to describe young people today, you know what, it is snowflakes. They just melt away as soon as heat is applied, and off they go. Well, we are living in a culture that is very vulnerable. People don't want to think today. They want to feel. They don't want to know. They want to feel. And false doctrine that appeals to the flesh and that uh, appeals to one's desires of all of that the world has to offer is what false teachers proclaim and people fall into it. Many of them will escape. Most of them will not. You ever heard the phrase that you, you believe, you, you tell a lie long enough, you eventually believe it yourself. And a lot of people have convinced themselves that, that they feel good right now and one day they're going to be good. Man, don't ever come up to me and say, Pastor, I've got a feeling. Because I want to tell you, I do too. Amen. And I don't trust it for one second. Amen. Come up and say, Preacher, I've got a Bible. I've got the Holy Spirit. He's taken me to His Word and given me a, a lamp and a light. That's what we say. Well, let's look and see. Uh, our continuing message, false teachers, their conclusion, where it all ends up. And let's look at verse 19. While they, those false teachers that we've been talking about in 2 Peter, promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance." that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So our exposition this morning from this text has three basic parts. First of all, we will see the conclusion 
of a false teacher and their followers, where does it lead? Well, first of all, the Bible teaches us right in this text that false doctrine, false teaching, when enveloped and when taken in and applied, will lead to enslavement. It leads to enslavement. Look at verse 19. A false teacher will promise great liberty, freedom, liberty from anything and everything you do not like about life. Maybe it's financial struggles. Well, there's plenty of false teachers who have great ideas about your uh, financial problem. In one of my filing cabinets somewhere, I have an envelope in it. I could not find it this week. You, that tells you the state of my filing cabinet. But I could not state it this, find it this week. But I remember it well. I was in college, and I received in the uh, box, uh, my mailbox, a big, thick envelope one day from a fella by the name of Reverend Ike. Does anybody remember Reverend Ike? Now, I'm not talking about President Eisenhower. Some of you are thinking President Eisenhower. But Reverend Ike was one of these false teachers who has so many uh, protégés today. He's just like, all, nothing has changed except the names, amen? And Reverend Ike, I don't know how he got my name. Probably one of my college buddies sent my name in to him or something. But inside, he had a letter and a folded, big folded poster-sized piece of paper that looked like a carpet, a piece of carpet, but it was paper. And Reverend Ike said that if I will spread that carpet out, kneel down on that carpet, and ask God to bless me financially, and then take a $10 bill at least and put it in the self-addressed stomped envelope and send it back to him, that all my financial burdens would go away. He even had some testimonies from people in the letter. Uh, false teachers will give you great promises. I want to tell you I did not send in $10. First of all, I didn't have $10. Now, if he had said $2, it might have been a different story. But uh, I did not send in $2, but I did keep that paper carpet, and I'll find it and bring it out next year or something when I finally find it. I want to tell you what, they'll promise you liberty from all your financial woes, your sicknesses, your ailments. They'll promise you prosperity, happiness, and even purpose. All you want to be free from whatever you are dissatisfied with or whatever you are discontent with. Verse 19 says they promise you liberty from all of those things and much more. And there are even times, perhaps even orchestrated by Satan himself, where it seems and appears to work in your life because you feel so good about it. It will appeal to the emotions so much that you will be motivated to keep trying and trying and trying. Well, here we are given two truths about this enslavement. First of all, the false teachers are enslaved to themselves. The Bible says they promise you great liberty, 
but they themselves are the servants of their own corruption. Remember the prime directive of such false teachers is the fulfillment of their own lust, whether it's money, sex, or prestige. And these days with the false teachers that to cover our airways, it seems like all three are their goals. But they are enslaved to that corruption themselves while promising you liberty. In reality, secondly, such false teachers' doctrine just transfers your ownership papers from one master to another. You become a slave to the false doctrine, if not the false teacher himself or herself, when you follow after them. An example of this is the, what we would call the prosperity gospel today, the word of faith movement today, the health and wealth gospel that permeates our airways. Physical health and physical wealth, according to these false teachers, is included in the atonement. When you get saved, it is also the very sovereign will of God for you to become wealthy and to never get sick. My problem with that truth is, is two things. Number one, it's not biblical. And second of all, the people who started that years ago are now dead. I'd like to know how they died before I believe that stuff. Amen or oh me? I mean, my goodness. Included in the atonement, and they quote and misquote and misapply Isaiah 53. I want to tell you what, healing from all disease is included in the atonement. But you know the atonement has a now effect and a later effect. We have Christ in us and one day we will be with Christ physically in heaven and there will be no more sickness and no more curse and no more pain. Our bodies are the last things to be redeemed. Our souls are being redeemed. Our spirits are redeemed solid right now. But our souls can still get discouraged and get sick. Our bodies will certainly get sick and die. If you're wearing a contact lens, it's because you are under the curse of sin today. And you are not redeemed from that yet. But you might have been saved and you might be born again. But one day, your body's going to be perfect. You're going to be about 5'7", bald on the top. <laughs> Amen. So in one sense, there is healing in the atonement. But in another sense, spiritual healing is what we need. And that's what Christ gives us today. Oh, my goodness, there are many false teachers who teach this, many more to follow them. People feel like they're missing out on something. And they get a steady diet of such heresy. And it makes them feel good. It makes them think positive thoughts. It focuses on self and self-esteem and builds them up. But one thing it never does, it never does, it never deals with their sin. One of the proponents of the health and wealth gospel repeatedly comments, we will not preach on sin here. And sin not preached against can never be dealt with. Rather, it appeals to their sinful uh, and, and flesh and, and the false hope that God is going to make them whole or rich if they will only do what the teacher says. 
Hence, they become a slave to the teacher, to his or her teaching, if not to the teacher themselves. And so it is false doctrine that never deals with sin. Therefore, they are still enslaved in their sin. And people will flock to them. They will flock to them in mass. And they will talk about how wonderful the music is and how good they feel and how great it is and how all, how it is just so much better than what they grew up with. And they will fly across the country, pay $5 a gallon of gas to go sit under the teaching of a health and wealth preacher to make them feel good, but they won't walk across the street to hear some faithful old Baptist preacher talk about the blood of Jesus redeeming them from their sin. And they're still enslaved. The second truth we learn here is that the conclusion of a false teacher is not only enslavement, but it is entanglement. Look at verses 20 through 22. Almost in the middle of verse 20 is this word entangled. It's just word entangled. The word means to be braided, to be interwoven. One synonym of this word means to hold in a yoke, to put a yoke upon. And this is what verse 20 is teaching us. Here we see the inaction, the definition of a word that you don't often hear these days, the word apostasy, an apostate. You don't hear that word anymore. An is one who hears the truth of God. At one time, they heard the truth of God, and they adhered to that truth. They adhered to it. They took to it, and they embraced it. But somewhere along the line, they fall away from it. They turn their back on that truth. This is not a backslider. Peter knows what a backslider is. Don't you agree? He denied the Lord three times. He knows what it means to be backslidden. Paul had to confront him about being, about being backslidden one day when he just kind of compromised the very essence of the gospel of grace. Because he wouldn't sit with some Gentiles. And his attitude was wrong. And later on we're going to see where Peter basically says, I love old Paul, he set me straight. But I want to tell you, that's a backslider. A backslider is somebody who has been born again, but they slip and they come back. An apostate is somebody who will never come back. And they fall away from the truth. And they are truly the ones who get something in their head and they tell it so much that they believe it themselves. Many of the false teachers and preachers we see today are apostates. They heard the truth. They started out in... in with greatness. They started out hearing God's truth and embracing it and wanting to declare it. But they have fallen away from it. They backed away from it. This was a person who was involved with Christ but never indwelt with Christ. They never were saved. 
They had a reformation at one time in their life, but they did not have regeneration. So let's break this down a little bit so we can understand this more and take heed to this text. Verse 19, the Bible teaches here that a person can hear the truth of Christ. They can be encouraged. They can be inspired. They can be motivated. They can even be convicted and probably are. And they can even change their ways. Many false teachers start out adhering to the truth of Scripture and they escape the polluted life they are living. But it does not last. They had the truth all around them. They even imitated the truth. The truth was imitated by them, but it was not imparted to them. They did not receive it. They had a temporary reformation, but not an eternal regeneration. Do you get it? They turned over a new leaf for a while, but they didn't come to a new Lord, our Savior. And that's what verse 19 teaches. And that's what we have. And remember, these people look real good. Verse 20, this is very disturbing. But we, we bypass this verse at the peril of anyone who is seeking to be better. Maybe you're seeking to overcome something in your life, and that's what brought you to First Baptist today. That's maybe why you're tuning in to us today. And you, you have an issue. You have a struggle in your life. And the Lord has brought you here, and you're wanting to be better. You're wanting to overcome. And you may even be on the verge of committing yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me say this in all encouragement. Peter says here about these false teachers and their followers, it would have been better to have never been exposed to the truth of Scripture than to have known it and turned from it. Look at verse 21. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. That's pretty plain. It would have been better. It would have been better. I imagine as Peter wrote these words, he remembered what Jesus said about Judas, the one who would betray him, the apostate who would betray him. He said it would have been better if Judas had never been born. Wow. This is teaching us the danger giving us a warning sign of reformation without regeneration. Let me show you something. It'll be on the screen, but if you want to, you can go to Matthew chapter 12. Let me read to you in Matthew chapter 12 for just a little bit and share something with you. This is, this is fascinating here. This is, this is a warning. Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, the most religious and moral people on the face of the earth, but they are not regenerated. They are not redeemed. They are claiming their heritage. They are claiming their quote-unquote holiness. They are claiming their religious life. They are claiming everything. It's called self-righteousness is what they're claiming. And Jesus does battle with them. They come to Jesus one day and they said, Hey, we want a sign. We don't want anything to do with trust. We want a sign. And by the way, that's what false teachers want to give you today is a sign. 
Jesus said, an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Why did he call them adulterous? Many of them would die before they committed adultery. Many of them did, as we have bore out. But many of them would die because it just wasn't the moral thing to do. In their self-righteousness, they wouldn't let themselves do such a thing. Why did he call them an adulteress? Because the sign seekers are always wanting more. They're never satisfied with the very truth of God to apply it in their lives and trust God. They're never content. That's what an adulterer is. He's just, or he or she is not content. Well, we look at Matthew 12, and that's what precipitates these words. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, unclean spirit walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Then he says, I will return into my house from where I came, where I came out, and when he has come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other demonic spirits, demons, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation, these religious Pharisees. Now what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says. It says if someone is demon-possessed and that demon leaves that person and he goes away and he goes to and fro in the earth just like uh, the devil himself does and that demon decides to go back to where he came from, to that individual and finds that he has reformed himself, he's been cleaned up, he's swept, he's garnished, he's empty, he comes back and gets seven other demons to go in there with him. And it's seven times worse than it ever has been for him. That is reformation without regeneration. That is getting rid of something without receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. That is trying to live a new life without ever being born again. You may look clean. You may look reformed. You may look changed. You may be better off for a while and for a long, long time. But the conclusion of the matter is you will find yourself seven times more deceived, seven times more deluded, and seven times more demonized at the judgment bar of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's what the Word of God teaches. That's the danger of cleaning somebody up. You've got you to turn over a new leaf, son. You've got you to quit this, and you've got to start doing this. And, and man, you've got you, you to change your ways. You've got to be scared straight. Man, we're going to fix you up. And 20 years down the road, the demon comes back and he's seven times more deluded. Now, folks, I want to tell you, we have a hard time understanding this down here in Ocean Springs, Mississippi because we are sophisticated people. And we think that demon-possessed people are wallering on the ground, foaming at the mouth, throwing dust everybody living in the cemetery. 
We, we think that there are lunatics, like the Bible says. They're, they're, they're out of their mind. They're crazy. But I won't tell you what, the only reason we think that is because we have forgotten what Ephesians chapter 2 says. When talking about lost people who aren't saved, who aren't born again, Ephesians chapter 2 says that they walk according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Lost people have the spirit of disobedience, the demons of hell working in them. All lost people are demon-possessed. They're not possessed by Jesus. Tell me who else they can be possessed by. All people without Christ are demon-possessed. They could be the banker who wears a coat and tie, or they can be the drunkard on the street. But if they're not born again and indwelt by the living Christ, they are indwelt by the Spirit who works in the children of disobedience. It doesn't matter whether they're foaming at the mouth or not. And if we clean them up and reform them and, and get them all straightened out and say, you've got to change some bad habits, and he turns over a new leaf, but he never is born again, never is regenerated, never redeemed from his sin, you know what? He's going to get entangled right back up in it worse than he was before. If not deeper in sin, deeper in delusion and deceit. That's what the Word of God says. I just showed you what the Word of God says. Jesus bore it out. Second Peter's bearing it out for us. And then verse 22 says, Peter, he uses graphic language here to describe the danger of reformation without redemption, without regeneration. Somebody may ask me today, well, what's the difference, preacher? How do you know if you have reformation without regeneration? Well, let me ask you something. What weapons do you use to combat sin? What weapons do you use? Do you use the Word of God? Is the Word of God impressed upon your heart? Do you look at your sin as a setback? And when you fall, do you look at your sin as a setback? Or do you see it for what it is, an offense to your heavenly Father? And you want to confess it. And so there is a difference. And one of the marked difference is explained to us in very graphic terms in the next few verses of 21 and 22. 21, he says, it would be better if they had not been born than to have heard the truth, grabbed a hold of it, loved it, convicted by it, even believed it, but they were not saved. They didn't take up their cross. They didn't repent. They didn't trust solely in the grace of God. It would have been worse it had been better for them not to have been born. But notice verse 22. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Here he uses the graphic description of a dog and a hog. I read that text and I said, boy, I feel right at home. I love it when Peter goes country on us. He refers to a dog and a hog. This is the result of reformation without regeneration. The nature does not change. 
take a look at something very interesting. Um, there are three enemies to the truth, the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you turn away from the truth of God unto false teachers, it's because you are manipulated by one, two, or all three of these. And I would tell you the devil, the greatest, the, the outside enemy of the devil, he uses the flesh in the world. He uses what's in us and what's around us to manipulate to his means. We understand that. But if you turn away from God's truth to a false teacher, you are being manipulated by the world, the flesh, or the devil, perhaps all three. Peter has already dealt with the devil. But what I found interesting as I went through Peter's writings is, is he, used, he used animals. Peter used some animals to define truth. If you remember uh, last week, I believe it was, or maybe the week before, he, he used a donkey to describe a faithful Bible preacher. Isn't that something? And many of you came up to me and you said, I'm so glad you're a donkey. <laughs> well, I am too. I'm glad I'm a donkey. He used a donkey. But here we also see that in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he warned us about the devil who is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's the viciousness. So he's covered the devil by describing him as a lion. Well, what about the world and the flesh? Well, they're right here. Look, first of all, he says, they are like a dog returned to his vomit. Gruesome, isn't it? That's a gross thought. I hope we don't have any dignified people here today. They won't come back. But I want to tell you, you need to come back because that's what the Word of God says. Somebody who has had reformation without regeneration will ultimately be like the dog, at least in their thinking and in their heart, who returns to his vomit. What the dog rejected from within, he goes back to. He gets back to it. See, many people are dissatisfied with the fulfillment of the lust of the flesh. A lot of people get money, and they love their money, but they're not satisfied with it. They never have enough. A lot of people, they love sex. They want to be promiscuous. But before long, even that itself is not satisfying anymore, and they go deeper and deeper into perversion. Some people want power. They want power. They, they want that prestige. And ere long, they are no longer satisfied with that. People want fame. And the Bible teaches us that a dog will return to its vomit. They get dissatisfied, discontented. And what do they do? They try to turn over a new leaf. Like a dog vomits everything up. It's the sinful flesh they vomited up. The desires of my flesh have not satisfied me. The desires of my flesh have not brought me contentment. It has lied to me, and I am no, no, I'm not at peace. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied with life. And so they vomit up those things, and ere long, unless they receive Christ and are obedient to Christ and take up their cross and follow the Lord in obedience, they have no joy and no satisfaction and no contentment in the Lord. They will go right back to their sinful flesh, right back to the vomit like a dog. Is that what the Word of God says here? 
you're looking at me kind of like, I'm serious now, you're looking at me like a calf looks at a new gate. Am I not telling you the truth? Am I, am I missing the boat? Thank you. And then he says they're like a, a, a dog. And then he says they're like a hog. While the dog reminds us of internal pollution, the sinful flesh, the hog speaks of external filth, the world. Many people get disenchanted with what the world has to offer. And they find themselves in discontent. And they reject it. They seek God, but they are never saved. And they go right back to the mud of the world like a hog goes back to its mire. I know a little bit about hogs, not much, but I know enough that uh, that's what a hog will do. When I was growing up uh, down there in South Texas for 4-H, anybody remember 4-H? They have 4-H. Get your kids in 4-H. Amen. Get them off that video game and get them in 4-H or or FFA or something like that. But for the big livestock show every year, I raised hogs. Every year, me and a buddy would link together and, and we'd raise hogs. I had a hog named Exxon. If this were today, I'd have named him Tesla. Amen. He wasn't an electric hog. He was all hog, I promise you. But nonetheless... I'd clean him up, and it, closer to the livestock show, you'd have to practice. And you get that hog out, and you scrub him down, and you, you know, clean him up, and get him going, and nice looking, do everything but put a bow on him. And then you had a stick, and you had to guide that hog. Now, you couldn't put a leash on him. You had to guide him with a stick, and you just kind of hit him along, and he'd go, you know. You do that to a person, they'll tell you to stop it. You do that hog, you go, anyway, you punch him along. And that hog would go. You had to work him because you got to get inside the arena and you got to walk him around so the judges can see him and the bidders can see him. See, you want to get, if he places, you can put him up for bid. And they would buy him at a, at a high rate per pound because it was for a kid in 4-8. So you wanted to look as poor as you could, and you wanted that hog to look as rich as he could. Amen? You'd get that hog going. Well, we'd practice, and then off we go back to the hog pen, and you know what that hog would do? He'd get in such a state we had to do it again the next day and clean him up all over again. That's what a hog would do because we cleaned them, scrubbed them. Oh, they loved it, but they loved their mire more. We'd clean that sucker up, get him all fixed up and all pretty, but he was still a hog. Amen? He was still a hog. Reformation. Cleansing without conversion. Reformation without regeneration. So what do you do? What do you do about this? Well, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, our third section. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles, to the Lord and Savior. The answer is in this first two verses of chapter 3. If you are saved, remember and be mindful 
not of the moment you prayed to receive Christ. You're not going to find assurance that way, but of the Word of God. Compare your life to the Word of God. This is the second time that Peter spoke about how you cannot withstand false teaching without the Word of God. But for you who are seeking something new and you're discontent and you're dissatisfied and you're hurt and the flesh has given you no peace and contentment and the world is, is too vicious and you, you see its viciousness and its harshness and you don't want to be a part of this world system as it is and worldly people anymore. You find no peace and no contentment. You're dissatisfied. This is for you. I've heard the phrase, I want to turn over a new leaf. I want to turn over a new leaf. When I have the privilege of taking someone to the home of grace from time to time, often they say, I want to turn over a new leaf or something similar. I want a new start in, in life. There's some things I need to change and I need to quit and I need to start doing. I want to turn over a new leaf. This is a reference to a book where you flip the page of a book and you go to a new chapter in your life. When I have people who give me a testimony of what they've overcome, oftentimes they say, I'm in a new chapter of my life. Well, I want to tell you something, friend. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You need a new book. You need a new life. You need a whole new library. Because turning a page in a book, turning over a new leaf, doesn't deal with what was said before. What happened before? It doesn't deal with your sin. It just covers it up with a little bit of reformation. It just covers it up with a new you. And before long, you may very well may wind up going back to the vomit. Very well go back to the mire. At best, you'll die and stand before God without Jesus. You'll be clean but you will not have Christ. You'll be reformed, but you will not be born again. And Jesus said, if you won't even want to see heaven, you need to be born again. And that's what you do. You need to become a new book. Why? Two things. Because, first of all, there is no escape. There is no escape from enslavement. Sin's enslavement. No escape. You have to be redeemed from sin. There is no end to sin's entanglement. None. You have to be regenerated. You have to be born again. You have to have a new spiritual DNA to rid yourself of the entanglement. And that's what this book teaches. That's what the Bible is about. It's about Christ. And it's about God reconciling Himself, reconciling you to Himself in Christ Jesus. Repentance and calling upon Him, having Him deal with your sin. Your sin must be dealt with. You may never be wealthy in this world. 
You may never have real health in this world. Never. Friday night, my phone rang, and I picked it up, and the fellow said, Mike Barnett. And he said, this is rusty. And I said, man, what a blast from the past. It was an old buddy of mine I hadn't talked to in 30 years. And I said, tell me about what's been going on, Rusty, in your life. Tell me about your family. And he told me a few things I don't want to tell you about, but he said he lost a son in Iraq. And he's had severe hip difficulty and has gone through surgery upon surgery upon surgery and still suffering, still hurting, but on an uphill climb, about to be past it, struggling in this life. But he was happy in the Lord, and he was joyful in the Lord, and he gave testimony to the Lord Jesus. And I said, come down here and see us one of these days. We'll let you share your testimony and how God has taken care of you. You may never be healthy. You get saved, you may not overcome your current problem. You may not. But you will be redeemed from your sin. And you will be regenerated before God. You will become a child of God. And the spirit that now works in you will be removed and he can't bring anybody back with him because Jesus will dwell in you in the Holy Spirit and you'll have a grand new purpose to glorify Christ and bear testimony for him and in your suffering and in your struggles you will lead more people to Christ and be more influential with the gospel because of the joy you will have in Jesus than anybody who lives healthy Suffering servants of God are special people, unique above all others. And so that is what we needed to say today from this text. And I pray you would come to the Lord Jesus. The first issue you have to deal with is your sin. And then God will give you guidance and direction, peace and strength in it, or He might deliver you from it. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know He'll forgive you of your sin and call if you call upon Him in repentance and faith by His great grace. Let's stand for our song of appeal. And bow our heads in prayer. And as you are praying today, are you 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% certain you've been born again? You might say, well, preacher, I quit doing these things and I've, I've turned over a new leaf. I'm a better man than I used to be. Well, that may be because you took a self-help class. My finances are better today than they ever have. That may be because you took Dave Ramsey. I'm, I'm doing so much better today, preacher, because... Well, that might be because you listened to your doctor about your health. What I'm asking you is, have you listened to Jesus and the Holy Spirit about your sin? Have you listened to Him about your sin? And would you come to Him and let Him cleanse you of your sin, fill you with His Spirit, indwell you with His person, and be a child of God and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, come what may. Come what may. You come as... We, after we pray, as we sing, maybe you need to make another decision. Maybe you just want somebody to pray for you. Cole and I will be here and...
waiting for you, and you come as the Spirit leads. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.